1: Here's a little poem I wrote. Trans women are women. Trans men are men. If you disagree, I don't like you then. Oh
0: my god, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Oh my god, guys. I can't Jake is hot
1: Oh my god, is What's up, everybody? My name is Jake Workman, and this is Oh My Pod, you guys, a musical theater and pop culture podcast. You guys, this week I had the opportunity to see not one, but two Broadway shows that I have absolutely been dying to see. I got to see Goodnight Oscar, starring friend of the pod, Alex Wise, and I got to see Ben Platt and Michaela Diamond in Parade. You guys, seeing Alex in Goodnight Oscar was obviously special because he's a friend of mine, but this show was absolutely beautiful. I cannot recommend it enough. Sean Hayes' performance as Oscar Levant, I mean, if he doesn't win the Tony, I don't know what will because he was absolutely unbelievable. He's a virtuosic piano player. His acting and physicality is unmatched. I I couldn't believe his performance and the performances by all the actors in this show. It was brilliant. Run, run to see this show. And also, you guys, it was so special to get to see Parade because I know so many people in this show and I had the opportunity to see Douglas Lyons make his principal Broadway debut as Jim Conley. It was unbelievable. I've already told him a million times, but Douglas, if you're listening, I'm so freaking proud of you. I, I just... It makes seeing shows just that much more exciting and heartfelt and special to me when, you know, you have a personal connection to people on stage. So congrats to everyone in, in both of these shows. These performances were just beautiful. And with that, you guys, we have to dive into this week's Broadway World recap because I got the opportunity to go to Broadway World's 20th anniversary concert, benefiting Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS. And it was such an amazing event, you guys, hosted by Richie Ridge of Broadway World and the one and only Cheetah Rivera. This event was wild. It was a stacked cast for the performances, Jessica Bosk, Orfe. Shoshana Bean, Randy Rainbow, Brittany Johnson, and Miles Frost. Just so many incredible, beautiful, hilarious Broadway stars all coming together to raise money for this incredible organization, Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, and celebrating Broadway World's 20th anniversary. And speaking of Miles Frost... Our first piece of Broadway world news this week is that Miles Frost is going to revive his role as Michael Jackson in MJ the Musical on the West End. And you guys, I cannot even tell you how excited I am for the people in the UK who were not able to catch this performance on Broadway because it is one of the most amazing performances you will ever see. Miles absolutely kills this role and the show is so fun, the dancers are giving everything. It's quick, it's beautiful, it's flashy. And who better than Miles to reprise this role on the West End? Okay, you guys, next we absolutely must talk about the trailer for the new movie musical of The Color Purple starring Fantasia Barrino that just came out. You guys, I am unwell. This trailer, I mean, this trailer could be the movie itself. I I honestly don't need any more, but I can't believe that we get another like two hours of this. It is going to be absolutely incredible. Halle Bailey, just off of her star turn as Ariel in The Little Mermaid, is going to be playing young Nettie. Taraji P. Henson is playing Suge Avery. And you guys, when you have someone like Oprah producing your movie, you know that you are in correct hands. I smell Academy Awards. There I said it. Next, it was just announced that Norm Lewis is going to lead Love Never Dies at London's Theatre Royal Drury Lane this summer. Norm Lewis has already played the Phantom of the Opera on Broadway, but this is a very different take on the character, and the score is very different than the original Phantom. So I'm really looking forward to hearing the way that Norm Lewis sings this score and takes on this production. Who knows? Maybe we need to have Norm on the pod. Should we have Norm Lewis? I'll call him. And lastly, you guys, in a bit of sad news, I'm sure you've already heard, but this week we lost an absolute icon, Miss Tina Turner. Tina Turner touched the lives of so, so many people in and out of the music industry and, obviously, in the Broadway community. Adrienne Warren, who received the Tony Award for Best Leading Actress in her portrayal of Tina Turner, shared a beautiful tribute with videos and photos of her and Tina together on her Instagram. And I just can't imagine how special it must have been to not only get to know such an iconic performer, but to get to really dive into her psyche and her, her inner self and find her Tina. So sending my love to everyone who knew and loved Tina, and rest in power, Queen. You were the real deal. You guys, this has been the Broadway World Recap. Oh my pod, you guys. I am so beyond excited to introduce my next guest on the show. She is a Tony-nominated performer, a musician, a women's rights activist, and she's about to star in a new Broadway play called The Cottage this summer. Please welcome the incredible Laura Bell Bundy. Ah!
0: Hello. How are you? Oh my pod, you guys.
1: Oh my pod. (laughs) <laughs> we have Elle Woods in the flesh on the podcast. <laughs> How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Where are you I'm, calling from? I'm, uh, I'm calling from my farm in New Jersey. I live uh, I live about an hour and five without traffic um, away from the city uh, in a little town called Tewkesbury, New Jersey. And we have uh, 19 acres and wow. 12 sheep and four goats. And uh, my husband dabbles in maple syrup, and we've got a pond and a creek. And so I'm looking out my window at my sheep right now. Oh
1: my god, that's incredible! How did you? Was that always something that you wanted to have in your life?
0: I think it was always something. At some point, I wanted to have like when my when my husband and I. Uh, a couple of years ago we we knew we wanted more land mm-hmm. um and we were living in LA at the time and we were thinking more like there was this area called San Inez which is right outside of Santa Barbara that we were like oh we want maybe we'll live in like the San Inez Valley mm-hmm. and it's beautiful it's mountains it's all wineries it's like
1: mm, oh fabulous. yeah <laughs> um,
0: uh but when the pandemic hit you know We had a pandemic midlife crisis. As you do. And uh, I missed being in New York. I missed being, I missed doing theater. And it's, you know, it's hard to, you have to be present to play. And it was sort of hard to do that every time I would turn around and be working in LA and now I have a small child. How are we really going to do that? My husband's family lives in New Jersey. My mom lives in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. My, My family does. And so being on the East Coast is, being closer to them, and then, uh, and so I, and I was raised in Kentucky, which is, like, horse country, and this area that we are in now is, is, like, New Jersey's horse country, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I have, like, a, a little bit of Kentucky an hour away from New York, and uh, it feels right, you know, it feels really right. I needed, every time I was ever doing in a show, doing a show, I always, I kept a car in the city Mm -hmm. and I always left on my day off. I had to get out of the, the, the concrete grid. Yes. And, um, and then there's this part of me that has to get out of just the farm life, the 24 seven farm life as well. So it's a nice balance. I like it.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. Well, and how special that you, you know, grew up in, in a situation very similar to that. And then now you get to mm-hmm. have your family and, and raise your child in a similar way. What was your your upbringing like? Were you in a, a very artistic household or a, a musical household? Or what was your path to, to the arts?
0: Um, <laughs> it's a funny one. Um, but I would say, so yes, I, I did grow up in a kind of musical household. So my mom... Neither one of my parents were really singers or performers, but my mother's father, my grandfather, he, um, he was a radio DJ Mm. in the forties and fifties in Maysville, Kentucky. And he actually, um, trained, do you know who Rosemary Clooney
1: is? Oh, of course.
0: Yeah. So Rosemary Clooney, the singer. So she's also from Maysville, Kentucky. And my grandmother used to, you know, like they used to sit and watch the trains go by when the Guys were coming back from, like, the Korean War and wave at them in the World War II and wave at the boys coming back on the trains. And and so then, you know, Rosemary went on to great fame and becoming a recording artist. And her younger brother, Nick, um, my grandfather, trained in radio. Nick Clooney is George Clooney's father. Wow. So my grandfather and then my grandfather and Nick – they both went to Cincinnati and they worked on the radio together and then there mm-hmm. was this radio strike in Cincinnati and at that point my grandfather was asked if he would start the on-air news broadcasting station in Lexington, Kentucky so he moved his family of two at the time to Lexington and then they became three and my grandfather was um, an on-air newscaster, sportscaster he did a little show called the Mr. Worm Show and he's also a singer. My, my He kind of sounded like Bing Crosby like when I hear you know i'm dreaming of a white christmas with at during christmas and i burst into tears because it sounds just like my grandma of course wow um so and and then my aunt um my my mother's sister so there was like june and louise you know and so <laughs> <laughs> my aunt was june um so my aunt like self-taught herself to play the piano and uh, and was a singer, had great pitch, and she ended up being Miss Kentucky in, uh, and and making it to becoming semi finalist in Miss America. <laughs> At my mother's urging, my mother was like, "You could get a scholarship for college. You need to do this." <laughs> and so, so she she gets almost all the way. I mean, she does get all the way, and she's semi finalist. And then I was born a few years later, and I came out of my mother's vagina, and she was like, There she is, my Miss America. There she is.
1: Okay?
0: <laughs> yeah. So I have, like, my mother is like Mama Rose meets Dolly Parton. You know, is oh I my, give you, like, that's for a better duo. <laughs> yeah, all just gay icons are happening. Period. And so. So, um, so when I was a little, when I was, so I, you know, I grew up in Kentucky, I grew in, grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, which is the, the really the thoroughbred horse capital of the world. And, and so all of my friends were somehow in the horse industry when my, my family wasn't, my father was, um. And he owned a, uh, my parents had a company together and he had, he had a manufacturing company and he was an entrepreneur and my mother was too, uh, kind of with him. And, uh, but when I came along, she, she kind of had stars in her eyes, of course. Mm -hmm. And I had that thing that my grandfather and my aunt had, which is the ability to sing. And so of course, you know, she put me in dance. I was in dance at like two and a half in Paris, (laughs) Kentucky, which is uh, which is Bourbon County, Kentucky, which is a dry county, by the way. Yes, a dry county, Bourbon, Kentucky. Can't sure, find sure. liquor there. Um, so, <laughs> so I, at somewhere along the way, she puts me in this pageant, and I have seen all these videos of my Aunt Marcia at Miss America, and I mean, I was mimicking her completely, and my mom also ran. A local pageant in Kentucky called the Miss Fayette County Pageant, and I mm. used to just watch it. And I have to say, Jake, I, um, I'm, I'm, I've always been a mimic, even as a young kid. So I think I just sort of like absorbed and walked like the pageant girls and did the turns. <laughs> and you know, I, I'm so you know, I'm da 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 sponsored by da 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 da. You know, I like I the, had the, it, it down, and course. I ended up winning this. <barbecue laughs> Um, I ended up winning this national pageant when I was five and winning a new car.
1: What? <laughs> every five-year-old's I mean, dream.
0: How, yeah, every five-year-old's dream, like a new car. <laughs> I still remember the car was kind of like an ugly piece of shit. It was a new car, but it was ugly. I remember thinking like, oh, I don't want this car. My no. mom is like, well, take the money. Um <laughs> So I win this thing. And then a couple months later, the pageant director calls my mother and says, um, there's this opportunity to go to New York city, all expenses paid to be on the Phil Donahue show. Um, you know, cause they're doing this episode on children's pageants. And my mom was like, Oh my God, we're going to go to New York. Let's go to Kmart and get new clothes. And so, you know, we go to New York, all expenses paid. We stay at the Sheridan hotel on seventh Avenue. Like, like, you know, across from the stage door of the Winter Garden, right? And uh, and so we we go, and it's very exciting for me. I'm five, and by the <laughs> way, this is I'm just you guys can do the math. 1986 <laughs> or seven? I think 87. And um and it's new New York in 87 was like
1: pretty, yeah. pretty
0: grimy. Okay, Sketchy, like there are scary, spooky like when they say in Hairspray the rats on my on uh rats at my feet or whatever whatever pants yes. at my feet or whatever like um here I am in that show and I can't even remember <laughs> um but that's kind of I just remember like literally seeing mice mice and rats and like triple x theaters and it was yes. all so exciting Born house.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> these bright lights <laughs> of broadway
0: Yes. So we go on the Phil Donahue show. It turns out it's like an expose on children's pageants. The that ah. they bring out a child psychologist. It goes.
1: <laughs> it goes oh early. my The God. audience
0: turns on us. Like I can't believe you're doing this to your daughter. Blah 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 blah. Ah. And, <laughs> and so. And there's other pageant girls there. One of my favorite memories from it is I'm backstage before we go in, and I mean I look I look like I'm in like full. Drag, Drag. Okay. I mean, she's got, I'm, I have like full curls, hair and makeup, a gown on. And there's these other girls from, I don't know, Louisiana or whatever, and they're using glitter hairspray. Okay. And they're spraying their <laughs> hair. And my mom goes, No, we don't use glitter hairspray. We're classy. <laughs> and it's just so ironic because I was, I literally have rouge. I mean, I'm ready for the whorehouse at this point. Anyway, so. I, so we, you know, we go out. And it turns. It becomes this sort of expose. And um, I even grabbed Phil Donahue's mic to defend my mother at five. And it's funny. There's a video of it somewhere on my Instagram. And um, and we leave. And my mom was like, "Well, I can't believe they had us come all the way up here. And, <laughs> and I think she dragged me all the way across town to East 59th street to Ford modeling agency. And she dragged me in a way, you know, like when your mother is pulling you and you're like, maybe slightly airborne and flying,
1: (laughs) you know, like she
0: is not happy, you know? And so we get to Ford modeling agency and my mom walks in and goes, uh, we're here to meet the children's division. (laughs) And the guy was like, uh, do you have an appointment? And she's like, um, well, um, no, but this is Miss Pee Wee Hemisphere, and we're only here today, so if they're going to meet her, they're going to need to meet her now. <laughs> and they let us up. Work. So we go up. Listen, if you, if you just, everybody needs the cojones of Lorna Bell Bundy. Lorna. Okay? So, <laughs> Lorna Bell Bundy. So we go up, like, five flights of steps. There's no elevators, because they want to keep the model skinny obviously (laughs) and i was just winded at five and we go into this and they end up signing me to a five-year contract
1: oh my god
0: oh my god you guys and then we and 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 then and then my mother goes well we don't live here (laughs) no like she's gotten so far ahead of herself and uh and they said um well, you know, we have this thing called summer kids and you can come, um, just in the summers and, uh, and a lot of young kids out of, you know, come out of the school year and then they, they come to New York and they model and they go back and like, we'd love to have her come this year. Cause she's quote unquote, the perfect size five. So, and now, so here's the best part. I think one of the best parts of the story. <laughs> so we leave, of course, my mom is excited and gloating and calling my father and going Dawn. I know you didn't think I could do it. Um, and so we go all the way back to, you know, the Sheridan and the, the area of Times Square. And my mom walks into the Palace Theater and she says, I need your best and cheapest ticket. and um And I remember her like trying to haggle, right? We end up in a box and we see Starlight Express. <laughs> and it was my very first Broadway show. And I can still... There was, like, a bar. I could still smell, like, the rust of the bar Uh while I was just totally fascinated watching this show. And what is so crazy is that almost 20 years exactly to that day, uh, I opened at the Palace Theater in Legally Blonde. Wow. So that is, that's the evolution of how I even got into the business. Right. So that, that... That summer, I came to New York as a summer kid, and after I had seen *Starlight Express*, well, that was the beginning. It opened *Pandora's Box*. I wanted to see *Les Mis*. I needed to be Cosette. I, of course, you know all the things. My mom then found the vocal coach that coached all the Cosettes, and I was taking <laughs> with him, and uh, and then she stalked all the teachers at Broadway Dance Center to teach me privates. And so I would come to the the the, the city in the summer, and I would I would have this hyper crazy musical theater training going on and and this modeling stuff which i thought the modeling was so boring i was way too precocious remember i <laughs> m- a mimic you know course, so i would just course. see these things and so by the time i was and this was just in the summer so then i would go back to kentucky for my school year try to be somewhat of a normal kid mm-hmm. went to my dance you know school and had a singing teacher there and stuff but i also was like my mom was like she had me in tennis she had me in like cooking she's like she didn't want me to get on drugs at six you know she really wanted to keep me busy
1: (laughs) who can blame her come on lorna bell you know
0: she's like she says to me now well you know i didn't want him putting you on riddling (laughs) so i just put i just kept you busy i said mom is this why you this is why as like a 40 year old woman not a I feel like I have ADHD and I was never diagnosed <laughs> and I, I leave the house and have to come back 25 times before I can actually get on the road. Of course. Um, yeah. I guess, because this, because of, because of this hyperactivity, <laughs> hi- hyper, like activity planning for her, that she did for me. Right. But, so I had this sort of half and half life of, of being this, um, which is sort of very, uh, ironic that my life is very half and half now mm-hmm. um living on a farm and then being so close to the city is that i had this i was raised in kentucky but i had this window into this other world which was new york city musical theater and then i i uh, my first show i got was the radio city musicals christmas spectacular yes i was nine and then that led to because the musical director of that uh Show was the composer of what became Ruthless, Mm -hmm. which was a which was a show I starred in at ten and eleven years old, off Broadway. Yes. Um, and then that led to you know because we had uh we had a man portraying a woman in the show, it it was this sort of and it was very campy. Mm -hmm. It became this sort of cult. Well loved a uh, musical within the gay community. Of course. And that led to me doing my first gay pride parade at 10 years old. So yes! here I am, this little girl from Kentucky who's <laughs> doing her first gay pride parade at 10.
1: <laughs> so, An ally, day struggle. one.
0: Oh, honey, you know it.
1: <laughs> oh my you know God, it. that is amazing. Well, I can honestly say that you truly are, like you used the phrase gay icon earlier, but like you are one of those Broadway queens who every gay is like, obsessed with. So that absolutely tracks. I, I can see it now. But wait, so then how was your um, like the shift from being sort of a, a child actor in, in the musical theater realm to when you made your Broadway debut as Amber Von Tussle originating the role in Hairspray? What was that like for you to get your first like your big adult job?
0: Yeah, and, you know, and it, it's interesting because when you're a child actor, you still think you're going to grow up and become a pediatrician.
1: Right. And
0: you don't know. You just don't know. And I, and I, I really didn't necessarily know. And, and in, in some ways, I still go, what am I going to be when I grow up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to this day, you know. Yeah. So I, I, um, I ended up going back to Kentucky when I was 14 and I had high school there. And while I was there, I would, you know, pop out. I did a pilot. I did the movie Jumanji. I did mm-hmm. some things here and there. Um, and I, I did like Gypsy at Paper Mill with Betty Buckley. And yes, you know, there were little. Uh, by the way, that performance was a masterclass.
1: Oh, I can that only woman, imagine.
0: I've never seen. I mean, just so raw, so. You know, you we we can go through this rehearsal process and become so calculated with our work. Mm. But Betty Buckley, like she she did the work and she then she threw it all out the window because it was just such this raw, organic, instinctual performance and you just never knew what was going to happen. Wow. And it was riveting. As an actor to be on stage with her and watch her off stage, it was just riveting. Yeah. Um and, you and were I June. learned a lot from her. And I was Dainty June, yeah. And I was seventeen, so I learned a lot from her, mm-hmm. you know. And you have these people that you know you have throughout your career, um, whether they're directors or they're other actors that that touch you in a way that change your process. Yeah. And she was one of those for me. But anyway, back to I applied to go to NYU, right? So in high school, and you know, I ran track, and in fact, I um. I was fourth in the state of Kentucky. In...
1: <laughs> oh my god! Um,
0: and um, and and then I, I so when I was going to go to NYU, I was also going to run, and I wasn't going to go for. I I got accepted, and I wasn't going to go for musical theater. I didn't audition for Tish or anything like that. I um, I was just going to do um, what. You know, I kind of went in like, what am I? I thought it was going to be entertainment business, but I ended up doing sociology and psychology because that's what's most interesting to me. But right before I began, I auditioned for um, uh, a soap opera, Guiding Light, (laughs) and I it was for a recurring role, and I end up getting this right before I'm going to start college, and as I, the role progresses, as I continue to do it, they offered me series regular. And so I had to make a choice between, am I going to continue college or am I going to do this acting thing? Mm. And I think that was like a turning point for me. I really want to do this. acting <laughs> thing. Like, you know, like I have this opportunity to right. go to school to do, you know, I really want to do this acting thing because this <laughs> is fun. And, um, And so I do the soap opera. And while I was doing the soap opera, probably about uh, uh, three-fourths of the first year in, so nine months in, I auditioned for the very first reading of the musical Hairspray. Now, so when I was eight, one of the summers we lived in New York City, I, this was the the one, we, we always lived with the rat hole, the, ro- the roach hole, and the apartment <laughs> owned by the Russian lady. Of course. You know.
1: <laughs> the but we can go
0: into that at the second podcast we do, because those stories are <laughs> crazy pants. Yes. And, <clears throat> and so... Um, the At the rat hole, I used to watch Hairspray, the movie, the John Waters movie with Ricky Lake every day. And my favorite character was Amber Von Tussle. I mean, of I'd course. eat my TV dinner and I would watch that and I was obsessed. And my mother, she used to let me watch all the John Waters movies because they had the coolest like covers at the video store. <laughs> sure. She did not realize what she was having, like what I was watching. But I, again, like... <laughs> I became an expert in camp at eight, right? Period. And so, and so, uh, when I auditioned at, at 19, I went in and auditioned for Hairspray the Musical. I went in and I like, you guys, you do not understand. I loved this movie growing up. (laughs) And my favorite character is Amber Von Tussle. That's the first thing that came out of my mouth. (laughs) And at the time, Rob Ashford was the director of it. Um, but it was, you know, it was Scott Whitman and and uh and Mark Shaman and Bernie Telsey and everybody. And so I I sang and then um Lori who this woman Lori who had been at Bernie's <clears throat> knew I sang this other song and she had me sing that. And uh and then they offered me the first reading. Now we didn't even have a second act.
1: Right. We just had
0: the first <laughs> act and I know where I've been was written. And um but it was so fun and I just had a feeling. I just had a feeling. And then I continued to stay and do the readings. There was one I couldn't do because of the soap opera. And then I um I ended up you know, that was 2 years and I when I opened that show um I had been developing it for a while, right? So yeah. it was like a slow build, but it was also just so magical and I think everyone in that cast knew. We all knew. It was like, I I even said at 21, I'm like, it only goes down from here. (laughs) You know, this, this is an amazing musical with infectious music, with an incredible message that is hilarious, that has a great cast, that has a family. Of people who love each other, um, there was an energy to this show that has yet to be matched for me. Mm. Um, and we all feel that way. A lot of us feel that way. Not everybody, but a lot of us feel that way. And <clears throat> and we consider ourselves uh, a family. But I, that the the one performance that strikes me. There was a few, but obviously we we opened it out of town in Seattle mm-hmm. and there was an incredible response and we were all like, Oh shit. And, uh, and then when we opened, when we did that invited dress before our first preview and pe the audience was just like screaming. Wow. We were like, Oh, Oh,
1: we have, we something. are,
0: this is something special. And that was, that was that moment of like, and I'm actually doing my very first Broadway show. Um, and it was exciting. It was really, really exciting.
1: Yeah. Wow. That is so incredible. And I mean, the show truly went on to become a global phenomenon. And, you know, then the film version happened and everything. So how incredible that you get that sense of pride and joy of of create helping create something that now has become just like truly iconic. I mean, it's one of like the most famous iconic musicals (laughs) there are in this world.
0: I feel very blessed to have been a part of it and to still have all of these people in my life still. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, obviously this is not the only Broadway show that you've done. You stood by as Glinda in Wicked. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. obviously we must talk about your star turn Tony nomination, for Elle Woods in Legally Blonde, what was it like to to have this all happen? I mean, where did you begin with this show?
0: Um, well, uh, Hairspray. So um, I did. Ha- um, Jerry Mitchell was the choreographer of Hairspray, mm-hmm. and when I was and and we had a fine relationship. I mean, I listened to what he said. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> honey, honey, let me be you. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, we had, I mean, you know, we had a good relationship. We weren't super, super tight or anything. I'd say I was closer at the time to Mark and Scott. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but when I did Wicked, I went on, I had like a couple weeks where I was on and I sent, um, a, um, a note to friends saying, Hey, I'm going on if anybody wants tickets. Please let me know. I'd love to have you come to the show, whatever. Yeah. And Jerry wrote me back, I want to come see the show. I was so surprised. And so he came to see the show, and he was so sweet. He wanted to get a picture backstage. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow. <laughs> just a little <laughs> surprised. But very, you know, I just loved. that was so nice of right. him. And then a couple months later, there was this announcement of uh, Jerry getting his directorial debut mm. uh, with this uh, musical version of Legally Blonde. And, um, I sent a note to him and I'm like, what this is, I just, this was like taking a page out of the Lorna Bell Bundy book. Okay. (laughs) I sent him a note and, and I, I was, I knew he would, it was, this was genuine in that when, when, uh, when he was choreographing Hairspray, he and Jack O'Brien were kind of like this sort of codependent unit. In that the direction and the choreography were sort of connected, mm. and there they were integrated, and so <clears throat> and just like the Corny Collins show becomes to be, you know, <laughs> um, but, you <laughs> yes. know it, was, it was just like it was like this beautiful relationship and synergy, and you could tell like Jerry had the brain of a director, mm. and so I when I sent him this note, I said. Um, uh, I said, congratulations on getting your directorial debut. You deserve this. You're going to be amazing. And I know someone who might be right for Elle Woods, wink, wink. <laughs> and he responded to me and was like, honey, why do you think that I came to see you in Wicked? I wanted to see if you could carry a show.
1: Bears.
0: And he goes, when, when, the, when the time comes, we're not there yet. We don't even have a second act. We will bring you, I will uh, bring you in front of the creative team. Wow. And that came in the form of kind of an audition essentially about a year later, um, where they were doing their first official reading. Um, the first unofficial reading, Carrie Butler, who was my dressing room mate at Hairspray yes. was Elwood. <laughs> and she always jokes with me. She goes, you took that role. For me,
1: bitch. <laughs> you but,
0: <bitch>. um, <laughs> she doesn't say the bitch part because yeah. she's too nice, but I know she's thinking. She's it.
1: doing just fine.
0: Um, Oh yeah. And we're <laughs> such great friends. Um so I I ended up I you know I did I I came in front of the creative team, they they asked me to do the first reading. And as you know, in this business, you're do, when you do the first reading, it's just kind of like you've been employed for a week to audition. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> and so I auditioned for that whole week and then I came back and did another reading and auditioned for that whole week. Mm-hmm. And then came back and did a five week workshop. Um at which I started to feel a little bit more comfortable in terms of like, okay, I think this is my might be my role. I had a feeling. You know, you just have a feeling about some roles. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I left Wicked and I went to L.A. And I said, I made this promise to myself. I'm not coming back to New York City until I'm originating a leading role on Broadway. Wow. That is literally what I said. That was like my, my mantra, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, the promise that I made to myself. And then... When Legally Blonde came by, came around, I was like, "Oh, this is it! Mm-hmm. This is it!" Even this is though what you I, I did not have a contract. I, I just had this feeling. And then after that five week workshop, they officially offered me the show because they had a theater, and it was uh, it was uh, amazing because I felt so much like I connected with Elle on so many levels mm-hmm. and energetically like. I'm essentially an optimistic person, a person who sees the possibilities in the world. And so does Elle. And so we matched energetically. Mm -hmm. And and I've also been underestimated for being a blonde. You know, I've been, I've had, of all of that, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, so on a sort of character level, she really was uh, perfect for me. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I, I began working on her as a girl and I left the show as a woman Wow! and I transformed in so many ways, like as a human and as an actress and, um, and it's a lot to have, uh, a sh- you know, this, the weight of this, uh, on you, you know, opening a show. Um, but it's also incredible to have people believe in you.
1: Oh, and
0: um, and I know that Jerry Mitchell believed in me.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. I yeah. mean, even just yeah, he from,
0: believed in me, and he changed my life.
1: And he he saw it in you from the moment he first worked with you, which is so incredible. And that's part of what this business is I think a lot of times we we get you know the ball starts rolling and then we sort of forget that there are these interpersonal relationships that obviously have to do with your career moves but also I mean he changed your life for the better it that's that's just incredible yeah
0: Yeah. and And then in it and and I don't even think he even realizes how much of my life he changed right because of the people that you bring into someone's life that like I had like three cast members in my wedding party yeah you know <laughs> yeah
1: that's amazing and and yeah. not only is it like a show that you know you get you get the commercial recognition you got the tony nomination for leading actress in a musical and you know you have all of these things but you get to do it's such a a marker in your life i would imagine of like i have this this broadcast recording forever. I have the the recording of the show that they did for MTV forever. There are all these things that you'll be able to share with your kids and and you know, have Yeah, like forever. look at
0: how skinny mommy was.
1: <laughs> exactly. Look at the video where my shoe flew off and I made it work, bitch.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was so funny. <laughs> Hey, you know that jump at the end of So Much Better, that was also a mis- uh, like an accident because the dog was supposed to run out at the end of So Much Better, and I was supposed – so the note was not supposed to be sustained as long, and the dog was supposed to come out kind of at – right before the end that I was going to – to grab Groser. Yeah. But when we were in previews in San Francisco, um, he had stage fright. And <laughs> – and uh, it was overwhelming. You know, we'd been in a rehearsal, and he nailed it in the rehearsal. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Jumped right in my arms and was like, it was magic. Fierce. But we got there, and the, the I, I'm, there, I'm in the middle of so much better. And the stage manager and the dog trainer, Bill Balerny, are trying to, like, wave me down going no the dog's not coming he's not coming like while I'm in the middle of singing the song (laughs) trying to give me the heads up the dog is not coming (laughs) it ain't not gonna happen girl right the very first preview and so uh I just finished this the note and jumped in the air and they and then bonnie the stage manager did blackout and jerry mitchell ran back going like that's it that's the ending that cut the dog that's the ending <laughs> oh
1: my god that's iconic. Know, so. and then it literally became like an integral part of the show i mean that that like right. sustained note at the end of that song was is like one of the most iconic parts of the show
0: yeah and then and you know and it it. You just – a lot of this stuff is like happy accidents. Like the universe sort of – sometimes things – you know, sometimes things happen and you don't think – they're the things that you don't want to be going – you think there's something going wrong. Mm -hmm. But really it's giving you an opportunity. Just like the Phil Donahue show (laughs) was this thing that ended up being – Potentially really shitty situation, but it led to it was the window to possibility. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I live my life very much like that, you know, like, oh, wow, a shitstorm has hit. What's in store for <laughs> me?
1: <laughs> I love that.
0: What could this lead to? Right. You know, what lesson could this lead to or what, or what opportunity, you know? 100%.
1: Um,
0: if we look at life like that, um, and we don't, try to just create constant safety for ourselves. It can be an adventure.
1: Oh, absolutely. And did you guys know that you had something so special? Like, like you said about hairspray, like when you opened Legally Blonde, what was the reaction like?
0: Mm. Well, we believed we had something special. Mm -hmm. We felt that we had something special. And in San Francisco, we reviewed, were reviewed in a way that was very positive positive. When we came to New York City, we were treated just like Elle Woods was treated when she came to Harvard. Mm. Right? Like, oh, this must be a dumb musical. A dumb blonde musical. Yep. And there were lots of people surprised, pleasantly surprised. Oh, it's smarter than it looks. Mm -hmm. And it was just the exact same... uh, F- f- same thing as L, right? Yeah. And so some of our reviews were really spectacular, like wow, totally surprised, totally surprised. And some were like, well, still trying to commit to the fact that Elle Woods was done, uh-huh. right? That the that this, but you know, when you look at the film, it's just perfectly written. You know, in terms of its arc and it's used as a, in examples of for like uh, classes on screenplays, and the musical takes a very similar trajectory. Mm-hmm. So it's well crafted. And I think, um, I mean, Nell Benjamin's lyrics are brilliant. They um, are. The music is like exactly what it should be. You know, it matched Elwood's energy. And, um, and I just thought they did a brilliant job. I think now there's a, a lot of people saying, wow we never really saw how brilliant it was because it took off in a way it connected with people. Yeah. Many years later, it has connected with, um, generations of theater people Mm -hmm. and young people, um, that want to have this great example of an underdog, but also a great example of a musical, of of a well-crafted musical. So I think, In some ways, you know, we weren't nominated for a Tony. Our our musical was was left out. Mm -hmm. Um, Our actors and Jerry and writers were not left out. Everybody was nominated, but the musical was not.
1: Right. And
0: so that was painful for our producers, really painful. But the most brilliant thing they did was tape that thing for MTV. Absolutely. And we were... We were the first. You know, now everybody's taping the musicals and doing the NBC musicals and the Fox musicals and the Netflix. And um, and we were really the first for MTV. And I'm so grateful that, like, that exists. Yes.
1: I mean, I can't because tell you how what... many times I've watched it on my couch.
0: <laughs> um, you know, they never really, you know, you don't really have original cast record. I mean, I was so lucky. Yes. And I have, I have, uh, like, you know, twelve-year-olds coming up to me like, "Oh my god, I love it," and I'm like, "You were not even alive when I did this musical." <laughs> you know, so yeah. that's that's just the craziest thing to but, me. But and
1: truly, what an indication that, like, obviously the show speaks for itself. The the work is there, and the the subject matter and like the substance of the musical is there. Um, but also, it's such an empowering show for for women and I know for the queer community it is so embraced because it really is like the story of like fuck you guys, whatever you think. I'm I can do what I wanna do. And I love that. And I think especially for for young girls, young women, it's so cool. And so I love that um part of your, you know, experience in life after this show has been with this podcast and with your, your original music um, specifically with your, your album entitled um, women of tomorrow. <laughs> um, I think it's brilliant. I, would you tell me about um, what that, what that means to you to, to empower women and to speak on things so openly like that?
0: Well, sometimes I joke. I, um, <laughs> I did a performance recently and something happened like it was for a bunch of young theater people and the piano never arrived. And so <laughs> I was like, well, I've got this track of my, from my original album. Let's throw that up. And, and so I made a joke. I was like, Elle Woods grew up to become an activist. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of is what happened. Yeah. You know? Um, I became really very, very passionate about women's rights Um from, it was almost like I was struck by lightning, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, you know, I think a lot of us were sort of impacted at the 2016 election yes. when we thought we were getting a female president for the first time, and we didn't, mm-hmm. and instead we get someone with no qualifications. And yeah. it just showed the, how glaring the double standard was and how, you know, she was treated versus the man in the election mm-hmm. and that he was bragging about, you know, assaulting women. It, right. it just, it just triggered in so many ways. And I said, Oh my gosh, have i been living under a rock, um, I feel like I just broke, I just bumped my head against the glass ceiling here. And I'm like, what is going on? And so, um, as a lot of women did, um, you know, felt the need to march my sort of instinct was we can march but they ain't heard nothing until they hear us sing
1: Period. and
0: I held this concert at the town hall in New York City um, which was founded by suffragists Yes. in uh in the early 1900s mm-hmm. and we did this concert called double standards where um, Broadway stars came together to sing uh, two female Broadway stars came together to sing a duet on a jazz standard in the name of women's rights and health yes and we raised over a hundred thousand dollars for female causes and um, and it was really an incredible event and interspersed with all of it there were we, we did facts on women's rights and facts on rights women had gained or don't have and I mean I was like oh my god I am learning things I had no idea totally. like I didn't know it was until 1974 that a woman could take out a credit card or a bank loan without the permission of her husband or father
1: that's insanity
0: it wasn't until 1993 that rape was illegal in a marriage in all 50 states <sighs> It wasn't illegal until 1978 that you could be fired. That you could, you know, you could still be fired for getting pregnant in 1978. Disgusting. So, so there, there were all these things that I was like, "Whoa, I have, I have taken for granted all the rights that I have mm. as a woman that these women that came before me fought for." So I began to investigate it, and I began to, to try to understand the history, even the history of reproductive rights, the history, you know. It it was 1965 when the birth control pill became legal as a result of a U.S. Supreme Court case, but only for married women. And then 1973, it became legal For single women, and then you see this shift that happens where women are graduating college in droves in the seventies, and then they're entering the workforce in the and that was also Roe v. Wade. The year of Roe v. Wade was seventy three. So then you then you see women entering the workforce in the eighties in droves and moving up uh, to get a seat at the table in the nineties and the aughts. Right. So here we are, and it's you know at that time. 2016 2017 and i've lived most of my life seeing women juggling having a job and having a family yeah. but not having the rights and the support and we still are fighting for those rights and the support to be able to do it absolutely all. um and we are still tasked with 75 percent of the unpaid care work that happens in our home yes. and the domestic labor so now I can rattle this shit off now in my sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, like it was like I was struck by lightning. I was like, I ha- I got to learn everything. I need to know everything. I need to know everything about women's history. Yes. I was never taught in school. I need to know everything about women's rights. And so then from that concert, I did two things. I sold a show to Freeform, which was a women's history sketch comedy variety show called uh, Girl Time, which ended up. Uh, we wrote the pilot but we turned it in March of 2020. Uh, <laughs> and as you can imagine a lot changed and there was not a space for it. But um but I'm remedying that. I'm working on the round two yes. of that. And then I and then I wrote Women the Women of Tomorrow album mm-hmm. where every so the songs sound like jazz standards with like a little pop spin but um they are um they're addressing sort of the modern realities of what it means to be a woman in various different uh, categories. So yes. where we're talking about equal pay or we're talking about uh, the mental load of motherhood or breaking the glass ceiling or um, over apologizing. Mm-hmm. Or, My or, favorite or, or, is Catfight,
1: so- I must say. My oh, favorite yeah. song on the album is Catfight.
0: Yes, so catfight is about right infighting between women, mm-hmm. and why does that happen? Well, it kind of makes sense. I mean, if you look at our history, women did not have any financial independence unless they were attached to a man. They couldn't vote, so the power was he he in their their husband. Um, and so the idea was not. I'm going to get my own power um, and I'm going to be financially independent on my own and I don't need anyone. It was I'm completely reliant on having a husband. Mm-hmm. So that creates competition among women. Of course. Right? And But yet we have continued to catfight even though now we've got master's agree- degrees, we have all the we have all these opportunities. We can have financial independence, right. but we've kind of become conditioned to be pit against each other Mm -hmm. when if we were supporting each other and holding the ladder Mm -hmm. for other women to climb and when we get a seat at the table bringing another woman in um, I mean it's legally blonde we will rise together yes exactly women supporting each other like at the end of the day Vivian supports Elle at the end of the day we realize we are better than the love of a man that we have all we need within us and we have that power and women do it all we birth the human race literally no one would exist without a woman nobody would exist so why we think this that we're the secondary sex is absolutely poppycock and uh propaganda yeah but but we but we have all we need and now we have to believe that we have Mm. it on the inside so i did the album then i was like okay Let's go into the history, like I just said, the history of the infighting. Let's go into the history of these issues. Yeah. Let's talk to a guest that's an expert, and let's come up with solutions for how we can move forward. And that's what the podcast is. Mm-hmm. Today, I'm actually recording one um, with a woman who's called the mom attorney, and she is she basically fights all the court cases for moms in the workplace. Wow! And she, you know, you she will like she has pre made letters you give to your, <laughs> you know, your. your boss and I mean she's amazing so I'm interviewing her on the podcast today um and then we started a community and an app for women also called women of tomorrow we started a foundation and this foundation uh this organization and community has about 25 classes a month for women in various areas that women need from personal growth mental health uh meditation yoga pilates um fitness and uh to negotiation business tools leadership skills um parenting tools um and then activism so we have the female fight club which meets every tuesday at three and uh we have uh, that's taught by a doctor of sociology but we have special guests on too Mm -hmm. and we did a special training with broadway advocacy coalition on um, being an agent for change. Yes. And so we help women activate their activism around causes that they care about because when we really give women the tools to say, Hey, we're all different. We all have ways that we can make a difference in the world and they're not the same. So for, for me, I'm an artist. So I write an album, right? So that's, that's makes, that's how I do activism. Yeah. I do activism through art, but you might be like a teacher, and you might be really good at breaking down a lesson, or mm-hmm. you might be—you might have a lot of money, so you can help, you know, raise the money for them. You yes. might be very well connected. There are different ways that that people have strengths and activism. So we try to point that out to them. We try to give them all the facts before they fight, and we make—we give them so much ammunition for that family dinner at Thanksgiving. You wouldn't
1: fuck, play. yes, um, <laughs> <That's> iconic.
0: <laughs> so that's my goal. It's like. This army of goddesses, like trying to create equality and not just for women, but for all people, because, you know, feminism is really about equality for all, Mm -hmm. you know. Um,
1: That's one thing that I really, really love about your podcast is that there is there is no air of um, pretension or, or anything like that. You are saying like, this is the tea. This is the facts. Here you go. Like, take it. Actually, not even take it or leave it. Just take it, bitch. Like, you, like there are... Like, what I loved... The most recent episode I listened to was when um, you sort of, like, went out into the field and were asking men, what is menopause? And I was just, like... <laughs> my mind was blown at how clueless people can be. And it's just... I mean, I love... All of that is to say that I love the work that you're doing. I, I so admire it. And I think that obviously this this podcast and and your your art and your music is to empower um and inspire women but i think it's so important for anybody not just women um or people who identify as women to to get this information and to understand the facts so that we can have like you said these these conversations about equality and feminism that are so vital especially now i mean in this like political climate it's Uh,
0: yes and you know it's it's I, I'm noticing now. Yes, I'm. I'm. I have this community for women, and I'm giving women the, you know, the history, the facts, and of all these issues, and the tools t- to move forward. But I actually, I really need to be educating men. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, I don't know if it's your responsibility, but the men are the ones who need <laughs> the teaching. To
0: know, <laughs> yeah. um, because I, I'll have some women say, "Well, my, I really just wish my husband was like." I'm starting to open it up. Like we have things like uh, how to talk to your kids about consent and mm. all parents are involved uh, how to talk to your kids about anti-racism class and that yes. well, all parents are involved because obviously parents have to work together. Partners have to work together. Um, but because if only one parent is doing the work, it's like halfway for that kid. Right. Um, but, you know, it's important that. That men are cognizant of. sort of the reasons why certain responsibilities fall to women Mm -hmm. and why certain responsibilities are falling to them you know i think we can become entrapped by this these constructs and these ideas of what it means to be a woman or a man and it it can cause an incredible amount of pain. Oh yeah. Um, for individuals who don't identify, uh, uh, in it can't don't fit inside that that tiny little box that the that this gender construct is. Yeah. If we we just removed these ideas of what things mean, you know, like the color pink, for example. Right. This has become identified with women and young girls, this was actually a, like a color for men. Yeah. And now it's become identified. But we think of it like my son loves pink. It's his favorite color. That do, that has no meaning for him. It doesn't mean, he doesn't understand the gender construct. He doesn't understand that pink is for girls. Right. He just likes the color it's pink. It's a damn cute and color. So, it's a damn cute color, okay? And maybe he got it from mommy. Who knows? But <laughs> um, listen, I'm even... have. I've um, yes. But, but you know what I mean? Like we are the, we have these ideas. We want to like keep kids in boxes instead of just removing the, the chains that bind us and saying, hey, authentically, you get to be whoever you want to be in this world mm-hmm. and you get to love whatever you love and do whatever you want to do. If you are a woman and you want to be a CEO or you want to be a scientist or a doctor, you get to do that. If you're a man and you want to be a dancer, you get to do that with all of the support and all of the confidence in the world.
1: Absolutely. And
0: for me, at the end of the day, even though I'm working on this for women, I want this for all people. Of course.
1: I think you truly are setting yourself up and your child up for success and an unbelievable opportunity because I, I mean i can truly say i my my mother is the most important person to me in my life and i'm so beyond grateful for her and what everything that she's taught me um but she, she was very similar in that way of thinking of like I would go to school in my ruby red slippers and a basketball jersey every day. And I would wear my basketball jersey backwards because I liked the name to be in the front. I was like, well, I want to see the name. Like, what's the point of it being on my back if I can't see it? And people would ask my mom, like, why are, you, why are you letting them wear clothes backwards? And she was like, that's the way that Jake likes to wear it. So why would I be like, that's wrong? And it's just like those tiny, tiny examples throughout your, your upbringing that add up to something so I- intrinsic and important to your, your inner self and your psyche. So I, I just I applaud you for being that type of person for your child because he is so, so lucky to have you.
0: What you're saying is so true. I mean, I, and I, I'm experiencing this as a mom. In how important it is for my child to, when he loves something or he feels proud of himself, even if it's unconventional of what it is that he's loving, that he's supported so that he, in his psyche, he doesn't think, oh, I can't love what I love. I get shamed for loving what I mm-hmm. love. Or, and that's terrifying to me cause, because that that will have its after effects. Absolutely. Absolutely um and it's hard listen it's so hard to be a parent it's so hard to navigate uh society Mm -hmm. and those rules and and traditional values and 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 family um but at the end of the day it's just it's just it's just all about allowing people to be authentic allow your children to be authentic and um and not being afraid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fear is just the killer of love.
1: Totally. Totally. <laughs> uh, I just I admire you so much. Before I let you go, I know I've I've taken yes. so much of your time. I do have a a musical theater rapid fire questionnaire. Okay, I'm ready. That I would love to ask you. Are you ready? Yes. I guess some of these questions are not necessarily musical theater, but you you get the gist. Okay. Okay. Sondheim or Andrew Lloyd Webber.
0: Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Starting off strong.
0: Uh, uh, I'm a lyricist, Sondheim. Work. Sweatpants or jeans? Sweatpants.
1: Do you have a favorite musical?
0: Gypsy? (gasps) Yes.
1: Do you have a least favorite musical? (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) Um, Would you ever like to do a Broadway play?
0: I'm doing one. Oh my god! This summer! Tell me about it. <laughs> this summer, um, it's called The Cottage. It's That's my very right. first Broadway play. Oh my god, fantastic. Oh yes, we should have talked about it. Oh my god, well, we're talking about on it now. The accent. Oh Um, yeah, so I'm do I and I have always been wanting like let me tell you, I said like the second I was done with Legally Blonde, I wanted to do a play. Yeah. Um it just took like 15 years to make it happen. <laughs> but um Yes, so I am I am uh doing this play called The Cottage with Eric McCormick, yes, and Lily Cooper and Alex Moffat. and yes. It's uh it's going to be it's it's uh it's a British romp. Mhm. Um and <laughs> it's very 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 silly and
1: fun. Have you started rehearsals?
0: I start next week. Ah. I start on Monday. Oh my
1: gosh, incredible.
0: Yeah. And I saw so this just the last few days I've been trying to uh, go through. I, I try to I actually try to be off book um, before the first day of rehearsal. I know it sounds crazy. Oh, no,
1: I I much prefer that as well.
0: I'm probably not going to be off book for act two, but, you know, just to get in. So I've been, just been trying to cram yes. <laughs> these words in <laughs> <my head. laughs> um, So, yes, I've been a little tired. In fact, I'm getting off of this and going to start. Luring my lines. But yes, excited. (laughs) It's called The Cottage. We open for previews July 7th. We open officially July 4th, but we close on October 29th. So that's your window to come.
1: Fantastic. I can't wait. What is the hardest show you've ever done? Legally Blonde. Do you have a favorite role you've ever played?
0: Either Elle Woods or Charity and Sweet Charity. Oh,
1: iconic! Uh, have you ever missed an entrance?
0: Yes. <laughs> um, I think I was a child, not as an adult. Yeah. Oh, and I've missed, I've missed an entrance for because of a quick change.
1: Oh yes, of course.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. uh, I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, are you a morning person or a night owl?
0: I am, uh, I'm really, a a night owl. Uh, in my soul, uh, being, but becoming a mother has made me a morning person.
1: Love it. And lastly, what is one thing that you would tell younger Laura Bell?
0: That, um, hmm, there's so much, (laughs) (laughs) um, success is marked by balance in one's life. Mm. when the scales are too much to one side then there's not uh there's there's you know there's a sickness there right so it's important to be grateful for all of the wisdom gained from the from the many experiences from the from the beautiful relationships from the downtime from the times where there wasn't money and the times when there wasn't a job and then times when there was and and knowing that it all creates inside of a human being um Character and compassion. And without experience, you cannot have compassion. Without negative and sad experience, you cannot have compassion. And compassion and empathy is so important, especially as an artist. And as an artist, just go and live and do not be careful about it because you have to feel everything that you possibly can and understand everything you possibly can to be the artist that you want to be. Wow, that's incredible. So just go fuck it up, girl.
1: <laughs> just Don't go do anything different. <laughs> well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the pod. You are just an absolute dream. I have been a fan of yours forever, so I'm so honored to have you on the show. Can you tell the listeners where um, they can find you on socials?
0: Yes, I'm just at Laura Bell Bundy on everything on um, on Twitter, which I'm really never on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. Um, and I'm also, we're Women at Tomorrow, where I do a lot of, like, women's history TikToks. Yes. Um, and we spell women with an X, W-O-M-X-N, of Tomorrow. And we're on Instagram and TikTok. So, but you can find that if you just follow at Laura Bell Bundy because I have it at the yes. top of my box. Yes, and you guys
1: have <laughs> to listen to Laura's podcast, also on the Broadway Podcast Network. It's phenomenal, and it's it's so important. But... Laura, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you so
0: much. Well, thank you.
1: (laughs) You guys, that's it for another episode of Oh My Pod, you guys. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to the pod. And you can follow the show on Instagram at Oh My Pod, you guys. Also, feel free to send me emails at ompug at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.